There we go. All right, we're good to go. Well, at this point in our worship service, I would uh, like to give special attention to Davies and Mo, and if you guys would come on up. They've expressed their desire to uh, publicly present their son. Come on up, guys. And they want to dedicate him to the Lord as well as dedicating themselves. Now, how old? Almost a month. Six weeks. Six weeks old. And he's an absolute little cutie. So, now, he has a different name than Fred or Charlie or Roger or something like that. So can you maybe tell everyone what his name is and then the significance of that name? All right, so his name is Obalulua, and Obalulua means God is king. Amen. 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 So I had to work at this a little bit. So I want to have you work at this a little bit as well. So it's Obalulua. Correct? Oba Lalua. Oba Lalua. Oba Lalua. So, Oba. Lo. Lua. So let's try it again. Put, put together. Oba Lalua. Getting that right? Correct. All right. Now, are you going to abbreviate that? Yes. <laughs> oh, this is the first time I've seen him squiggle a little bit. <laughs> There's some scripture, paraphrased scripture, I'd like to read with you guys. And um, I really like these scriptures. And uh, the bulk of it comes from Deuteronomy. And it's in that scripture, God is challenging the nation and how they parent and how they will pass on the heritage to their kids. And it says this, here excerpts from the scripture, this is what I said, whoever receives and welcomes a little child in Jesus' name receives and cares for God's child. That's Matthew 18, verses 5, 10, and 14. And then it goes on, it is not the Father's will that even one child should be lost to him. Therefore, hear, O people of God, listen closely and obey the commands of God that you may be blessed in your child raising. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3. And then the following verses, it says, The Lord is our God in him alone. You must love him with all of your heart and soul and strength. And later on in in the New Testament, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? This is what he goes back to, and this is what he quotes, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. So he's coming back to this challenge, okay? Always thinking about the Lord's guidance to you. Teach his word to your children. And then I love how he talks about this because it's not in a classroom setting so much. We might bring him to church and he'll go to Kids Connection or other things that take place in youth group. But I love what it says, says here. Talk, talk over the things of his word when you're at home or out walking, maybe running. By the way, he likes to run and he won a race again last week. 
or at bedtime or before breakfast. It says, let your whole life give evidence that God's word is at its center. And what I love about this is it's talking about the fact that all through the different parts of your life, you know, as we raised our kids, and I think when you talk to most parents, often the, the probing and deep questions don't come when you expect them. In fact, they often come at those times when you are doing something else and it's annoying. <laughs> okay, you're, you're getting ready to go to bed, or you've got something you're work on, working on that's frustrating you, and then your, your, your kids show up and they ask you a question and you realize, okay, i got to put this aside for a minute because they're asking things that are deeper and they didn't choose the best time. But this is the time they've chosen. Maybe you'll have a chance to travel the country. We did that some. And as we, this is one of those amazing things. You would travel the country and you would go to different places. You would go to the Grand Canyon. You would go to the Rockies. You would go to these other places. And they would have placards that would tell you the wonders of evolution. And then we would sit down and talk to our kids in that process and say, now this is what the placard says. But this is not what we believe. It says, we believe that God created this, and this is how we think God created it. And it's those, those moments and those times when we just have the chance to talk about the truth of who God is and what God has done. So being intentional, looking for those opportunities. So that's the challenge that sits before you. And then this portion from both Psalm 127 and John 3. It says, your attempts to raise a family without God's help will be wasted, for you are not able on your own to impart the eternal and unchanging dimension of life to your child. You need God's help. You're asking God to work through you in that process. Unless he is also born also of the Spirit of God, he will not, in fact, cannot be part of God's kingdom. And your son needs to come to that point in his own journey where he's going to put his faith and trust in Jesus just as you guys have come to that point in your journey and that's part of the goal to encourage him and nurture him toward that goal but then also to nurture him and encourage him after that to walk with and know Jesus in that personal way and as his name says recognize that God is king and to live that way honoring him and then this final one let children come to Jesus and do not hinder them Amen? Amen. All right. Well, so your intent is clear. I'm going to ask you guys a couple questions. Fair enough? You guys knew we were going to do this. (laughs) So do you publicly wish to present Obalalua to God in recognition of the high privilege and unique responsibility that God has entrusted to you? Yes. 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 Okay. Do you recognize and solemnly declare your dependence upon Almighty God for the wisdom, help, and blessings that you will need to guide and nurture him? All right. And do you promise and commit yourselves to teach Oba Lalua the truths and callings of the Christian faith? And will you, through prayerful... through purposeful prayer and intentional life choices, seek to lead him to personal faith in God through Jesus Christ. Yes. yes. All right. Now again, we've walked this path a little bit recently, and I'm going to come back to you guys. 
So at different times, you're going to have the opportunities to maybe watch over Ovalalua and encourage him and in, in maybe watch him in a nursery or kids connection or maybe in youth ministry. You might even get that special call that says, hey, can you come over and help because we got this going on and we got to run out the door. But all of us will have that opportunity to speak into his life in various ways. And if you would like to be a part of that journey and commit yourselves to helping Davies and Mo in that journey, I would like you to stand and make that commitment to them. So here's the power of what's going on. You guys have people that really love you. Right here. And they're also going to really love your son. So look at those people and recognize that you can lean on them and you can depend upon them and they got your back. That's part of the fun part of the family and the body of Christ. Because you guys are loved and your son is loved. Awesome. All right. Can I pray for you guys? Yes. And can I hold this little guy? Yes. I got him. Oh, he's a cutie. (laughs) And his eyes are open. Let's pray. Father, I want to say thank you so very much for this little man that I have the privilege of holding in my arms. And Father, he is wanted and loved. Father, not just by Davies and Mo, but Father, by you. And Father, I want to pray for him. And Father, just as his name means God is King, Father, I would ask that you would build into his heart, that you would build into his life a passion and a desire to know you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to God. Father, build in him. Draw him to yourself. And Father, use him in a way that just brings you glory and honor and brings joy to Mo and Davy's hearts and lives. And Father, as they raise him, Father, I would ask that you would just watch over them and give them wisdom and courage, strength. Father, that you would give them the, the courage and the strength to make those stands and to hold those positions that will challenge him even when he says, I don't want to. And Father, also that grace and love that just enfolds him and reminds him again and again and again that my mom and dad love me. My mom and dad support me. My mom and dad are a safe and secure place for me in my life. Father, I just ask that you would do wonderful things. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You are welcome. You got them? Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. We'll let you guys sit down.
I don't know about you, but for me, this is one of those really fun things about being a pastor. So really cool. Well, this morning, I need a tissue if I can. If someone can get me one, I'd really appreciate it. And um, we're going to pick up again in Hebrews chapter 13. And I'm really excited as we pick up in Hebrews 13. We have been spending the last 19 weeks. Thank you, Brian. We've been spending these last 19 weeks looking at Hebrews, and as the writer in Hebrews has been talking and having this conversation, he's been coming back again and again and again, and he's been saying to the readers, and he's also been saying to us, lean in to Jesus. Lean into Jesus. Don't step back. Don't step away from a relationship with Jesus. Don't step back into your old traditions. Don't step back into your old faith systems. Lean into Jesus. Hold on to him. Grab a hold of him. And as he finished that kind of argument last week, we find ourselves now in chapter 13. And there's a few more things he wanted to say. But do you ever have those conversations? You have a conversation, you call someone up, and there's a number of things you want to talk to them about, and so the bulk of your conversation is you're talking about those things that are ready, rest, sitting or resting most on your heart, most on your head, and so most of your conversation is about those things. And then you say, now, before you hang up, there's just a couple other quick things I want to say before we go, because I want you to be aware of these things. And that's kind of what's going on here. He says, now guys, we've just spent the last 12 chapters of, our, of this whole thing laying the groundwork, laying the foundation, and reminding you how Jesus is greater, and Jesus is more wonderful, and Jesus is more amazing than anything you can ever imagine. And all of those things that you have thought were amazing, all of those things that you thought were wonderful, all of those things that you thought were unique about Judaism, Jesus is greater and more amazing than it all. He is so amazing. But now, guys, before you go, just a couple things I want to bring your attention to before I close. And that's what's going on. So let's read these verses. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into it. He says, Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. Let's pray. Father, as we take some time this morning to look at these verses and think about the challenge and the implication of what is being said, Lord, I would ask that you would guide our time. 
build into us the character and substance of Jesus. And Father, as we think about that character and substance of Jesus, then also allow the values and character of what it means to walk with you and to know you to be lived out as well. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As I mentioned last week, there are typically four big areas of sin that I've seen as I have interacted with the church in the last 35 years. Sexual sin, big area of sin. Bitterness. And we talked about that last week, and, and he talked to them about that at the end of chapter 12 last week. Love of money big issue that people wrestle with. And then power. And we're going to talk about power a little bit and we're going to, he's going to deal more with power as we go through the second area. But we're going to deal with, with two of these issues. We're going to deal with the issues of sexual sin, love of money. Next, in a couple weeks, we're going to deal with the issues of power. Excuse me. So, Let's start with verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Does anyone know what word is being used here? Nope. In fact, probably all of you have used this word this past week. And if not this past week, probably all of you have used this password sometime in the month of September. I didn't hear you. Philadelphia. That's the first time I've heard him squeak. (laughs) Very cool. Now, you're right, Philadelphia. Now, if you have spent any time in Philadelphia, you know this. Philadelphia means brotherly love. But if you spent any time in Philadelphia, you would know that sometimes people in Philadelphia don't call it the city of brotherly love. They call it the city of brotherly shove. Okay? And sometimes it's like that. But Philadelphia means brotherly love. And that's the word that's used here. And he says, let brotherly love continue. Just that love that says, I care about you. I've got your back. That kind of love that said to you, we will stand and we will support Mo and Davies as they raise their son. It's just that kind of support that says, when someone needs something who's a part of our family and they call me and say, hey, can you help me with this? We'll say, yeah, I'll put the stuff down that I'm doing and I'll come over and lend a hand and I'll help you get it done. It's that love that says you are important and because you are important, because you, we together love Jesus, I've got your back and if you need help, I'm going to help you. I'm going to be there to, you can lean on me, you can depend on me, you can rest on me for support. We're in this together. And so as he's talking about this, he says, listen guys, let brotherly love continue. This should be one of those characteristics. This should be one of those values that defines us as followers of Jesus. And then he touches a couple of areas where we should show this brotherly love. 
So then he goes on in verse 2, he says, don't neglect to show hospitality. Do you all enjoy having people show up in your home? Sometimes we do. Other times we don't. Sometimes they say, oh, I've got to clean this, and I've got to clean this, and oh, no, they're coming, and we, and we go into this kind of panic. And sometimes we kind of say, this is just my personal space, and I'm just not ready for someone to show up in my personal space, and what are they going to think if they find dirt here? Or what are they going to think if they find clutter there? And we start getting worried about what people maybe will think about us, and so then start, we start getting nervous about having someone over. But he says, don't neglect to show hospitality. Now, this is important. Because this is one of the things I've discovered about our Christian journey. It's not individual. While it's very individual, it's ultimately communal. We're encouraged. So chapter 10, we looked at this. It says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as some are in a manner of doing. I'm, quote, I'm going back to my very childhood and quoting the King James. But don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as some are in the habit of doing, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That's very communal. Because it's coming back and saying, listen guys, don't, don't skip out on showing up at church and don't skip out and showing up in, at, at our gatherings. And it's not because we're keeping count we want to keep our numbers up. That has nothing to do with it. It's about saying, listen, guys, we want you around. We want you connected. And we want to be that support network. We want to be that support base for you. Because as we walk and as we live in the world, we get beat up. And he's going to touch on some of those areas where we get beat up this morning. And Christians, particularly in this period of history, were getting beat up by the world. And Christians today are going to continually get beat up and more beat up in our world because we represent a value system that's counter-cultural. And he's saying, so that communal component, that family component, we need that. We need someone to come alongside us and say, we got your back, we're praying for you, we got your support, you are, you are, we're in your corner, we're helping, and, and we need that. There's such a communal component to our journey of faith where we need each other. And so that hospitality is really important. And overwhelmingly often at this period of time, there were not churches around like we have churches around today. So when there would be gatherings, the, these gatherings would be at people's homes. And this is how come as we do life groups, my real encouragement is that we not do it at a room at the church, but rather my real encouragement is that we would do it at each other's homes. Can I be really personal with you on this? So you all know we bought another house and it's, it's down near Tuckerton. Okay, so over the years we've hosted a life group. And I really didn't want us to do our life group in the church building. And that's to come. I'm so appreciative for Sherry and John. And Sherry goes, you, you can do it at our place. I said, good. Okay. And I'm so pumped that we're doing it at someone's home. Because I think being in someone's home, sitting around the dining room table or sitting around the living room creates such a different environment for us to have a conversation. It creates such a different environment of welcome and community than sitting around a bunch of chairs in a classroom. It's just a different animal. 
The hospitality issue is so huge. Now here is what's really, really cool. By doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. That's so cool. Now, I'm not looking for angels angels around every corner. Okay, so I'm not saying that, you know, invite someone in and an angel's going to come floating in. But what he's identifying is sometimes, guys, you have chosen to be gracious. You have chosen to be welcoming. And you have chosen to welcome into your home sometimes people you didn't know real well. Or maybe you didn't know at all, but who needed a place to land for a period of time, who needed someone to provide them a meal, who needed someone to provide them a place to sleep for the night, and you have chosen to graciously make yourself and your home available so that you could care for others who are part of the body of Christ. And in doing that, some angels have showed up. Because remember what angels do? Angels look at what God is doing and they're like crazy curious about it. Because God is doing something he hasn't really done before. And so angels are looking into and kind of curious about how the body of Christ functions and works. Really cool. There's a real value to the issue of hospitality. And this is part of that Philadelphia. Part of that brotherly love that we are being encouraged to share with one another. And then he goes on to the next part. Remember those in prison, as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated, as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Again, excuse me. If you remember what he said a little bit ago as we were reading earlier, he's talking about how some of them have not suffered to the point of shedding blood, but how others have. And in this conversation, and as he's extending this this challenge, this is my opinion, this is what I think is going on. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who, because of their faith, have landed in jail. I don't think what he is saying is you need to do prison ministry. Now, I don't think prison ministry is a bad thing. I think prison ministry can be a wonderful thing and I think it can be a really effective thing because you're going to see people at that setting who are being confronted with issues that they need to address and they recognize now that I need to address these things because life and culture have caught up with them and said, you can't be in society right now. You can't live in culture right now because you are violating the patterns and norms that are acceptable. But in particular, what I think is taking place is that there are Christians who have landed in jail because of their faith. Just as Paul wrote and said, hey, I'm in jail, and Timothy or Silas has showed up, or, 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 or someone else has, uh, Onesimus, uh, Onesimus sent someone and was ministering to Paul. Actually, he didn't send him. His, his, his slave ran away. Okay? And he showed up, and Paul says, Hey, he's coming back to you. Don't treat him badly. He's been a real blessing to me as I've been in prison. And so, 
what's going on is, is he's saying, listen, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who because of their faith, because they've chosen to take a stand for Jesus, they have landed in jail. Now here's part of what's going on again. At this period of history, there was a resurgence and a pushing of the world view that Caesar is God. And Christians are coming back and they're saying, Caesar isn't God. And we're not going to worship Caesar. And because they're saying we're not going to worship Caesar, everyone around them is saying, well then you're traitorous. You're a traitor to Rome. You're a traitor to our community. You're a traitor to our society. Throw them in jail. Beat them up. Make life difficult for them. Make life hard for them. Abuse them. Because these are not good citizens. These people are not good neighbors because they don't agree with the rest of us that Caesar is God. Now, all of them would have a pantheon. And so Caesar would be one of the gods. He wouldn't be the only god. He'd be, he'd be one of the gods. And so they would worship this one and this one and this one and this one. And so he's part of the list. But in the Christian worldview, in a Christian society, there is one God. And you worship him alone. And Caesar is not God. And so these Christians are being abused. And so he comes back and he says, Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. Show Philadelphia. Show brotherly love. Come alongside them and care for them. Now here's one of the realities as well. Some areas of our world practice this system. We don't practice this system in the United States. We do it a little bit differently. But in some cultures, you land in prison, but they don't feed you. Or they feed you absolutely the minimum. They don't provide clothes for you. They don't provide stuff for you to sleep in. Blankets and sheets. Someone from outside would need to show up with a meal. Someone from outside would wash your clothes. Someone from the outside would show up with blankets and sheets, pillowcases and pillows. And so if someone from the outside was not exercising care and concern for the person in prison, time in prison was even worse because their basic needs were not being addressed. And so he's coming back and saying, listen, remember them, provide for them, care for them, show hospitality, remember them, demonstrate and communicate brotherly love to them. We should be caring for one another and helping each other in this journey of hardship as followers of Jesus. Some are also mistreated. So remember those in prison as though they were in prison, you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Not everyone landed in prison. 
but that doesn't mean they escaped unscathed. Beaten up, harassed at work, fired, all that kind of garbage that goes on. So listen, you may not at this point in time be on the bullseye mark for culture and society's abuse because of your faith. But some of these others have landed in the bullseye zone and are being abused and persecuted because of their faith. Care about them. Support them. Help them. They're brothers and sisters in Christ who need your help. Now can I tell you something? That happens still in our world today. And one of the things I'm going to encourage you to talk about and think about in Life Group this week is how do we live this out? What does this look like for you and I in our culture and in our society today? How do we show brotherly love to those who are being harassed and persecuted for Christ? What does that look like? He continues. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Again, a big issue. A big issue. And again, in life group, we're going to say, where do you think this is coming from? I think part of the... Parents, how often have you sat down and had a conversation with your kids about something that's totally unrelated and irrelevant to your kids? Now, periodically your kids would look at you and say to you, that's unnecessary, that's irrelevant, but it's not really true. Okay? Because you as the parent, you're watching, and they don't want me to acknowledge what you're talking about is relevant. They may not want to acknowledge that what you're talking about is something that they should be listening to and hearing, because they don't want to acknowledge that you're paying attention and you're seeing the stuff that's going on. But the writer here is not writing and talking about stuff that's irrelevant. He's writing and talking to them about things because these things are going on. Because some people in the Christian community are dropping the ball. And how are they dropping the ball? How are they messing up? Well, they're messing up by the fact that they are not honoring their marriages and keeping their marriage bed undefiled. Some are not being faithful. He's coming back and saying, hey, married people, stay faithful to your spouse. But then he goes on. He says, and because God will judge what? The sexually immoral and adulterers. Those that are being unfaithful, guys, pay attention. God is going to hold you accountable. Those who are being promiscuous, pay attention. God is going to hold us accountable. And God does not expect us to be promiscuous. God expects us to be faithful. God expects us to honor the boundaries that he's placed around us for our protection. Let me give you an example. 
Do you know that I've never, ever worried about catching a sexually transmitted disease? That has never been a concern for me. Now, it's not because I hadn't become sexually active. You know, you're talking about this at church? Oh my goodness. <laughs> but I never had to worry about that. Because I kept that confined to my marriage, and my wife kept those things confined to our marriage. Never, ever had to worry about catching an STD. And yet we listen in our world and we say things in our world and our world says, oh, that's too simplistic of a solution. You can't talk about those things that way because that's just not how the world works. Well, true, that's to a degree. That's The world lives sinfully. They choose to disregard the boundaries that God has given. But here's what's amazing. When you live inside the boundaries that God gives you, there is amazing protection. It's amazing. Amazing. So God says he's going to hold us accountable and there will be judgment. There will be consequences for people that are promiscuous, people that are not honoring the boundaries and the structures that he has given. So he's saying to those in the Christian community, listen, honor the boundaries I've given. Husbands and wives, be faithful to one another and don't take anything outside of your marriage. Those of you who aren't married, behave yourselves. And don't practice sexual behavior outside the context of marriage. So wait until you're married. And so he walks through these things and he lays these things out. Why does he lay these things out? Because some in the church are doing those things that they shouldn't be doing. Just like we talk to our kids. I'm concerned with, what are you talking to me about that for? Well, I'm talking with you about this because, and this, and this, and this, I've seen these things, and so I'm talking about these things because I see these patterns, I see these choices, I see these actions. These are not helpful, they're destructive, they're going to harm you. You need to avoid these things. He's talking about these things because these things are going on. Just as we have these conversations with other people about things because those things are going on. Now, he continues. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Now, it's not maybe the exact way that we would hear that context how often have you think of the fact that when God says, I will never leave you or abandon you, it's dealing in the issues of financial support and financial aid. How many of you have made that connection and said, oh, that's what that means? Most of us don't think of it that way, and yet this is how he's applying that verse. 
I will never leave you or abandon you, or I will never leave you or forsake you. But the lead up to that is don't love money. Now what does he say elsewhere in scripture is the root or the, the, the linchpin of all evil? The love of money. The love of money. So I was having this conversation with someone the other, yesterday. And we were talking about money and being, being satisfied with enough. I don't remember which one it was, if it was Rockefeller or Carnegie or which one of these original big money people it was. But one of them was asked the question, you have everything you, you, you could possibly imagine. You're one of the richest people in the world. What else could you desire? You remember the answer? More. More. You got to be kidding me. What do you mean? You need more. You got a pile bigger than just about anybody in the world. A pile that's going to take care of you and your family for generations. What in the world do you need more for? Power and other things. I won't disagree with that. But it's the love of money. Here's one of those little key things. The love of money and getting doesn't always satisfy that stuff that goes on on the inside of our soul. Do you ever notice that? People have stuff and they're just not satisfied. They're not fulfilled. Because that doesn't fill that God-sized part of our spirit in our soul that only God can fill. And so they're looking for things to stuff in that space to try to make it feel full and to make it feel satisfied. But nothing fills it. Nothing satisfies it except the presence of God. And so he says, stop loving money. Now again, why does he have this conversation? Because some of them are loving money. They're loving money. And they, and they want it. And, and they have this mindset and they have this attitude that if I have enough of it, I'll be okay. If I have enough of it, I can do whatever I want. If I have enough of it, part of its power, then I can get what I want. I can control the circumstances. I can control the environment. Some of them are like parents. If I have enough money, I can control my kids and I can make them do the things I want them to do. Well, I would suggest to you that that's not the way you get your kids really to do the things they want to do. Work on their heart. Change their heart. Work on the inside. And then when you're not looking and then when you're not holding the strings, they're still going to do those things because it's coming from their heart instead of from an external motivation. But he's having this conversation about don't love money. Because let me tell you, money does not love you back. It does not care whose pocket it sits in. It does not care who spends it. But people have made money their God. But he talks about something that's huge, but a real challenge. Contentment. 
contentment. That attitude that comes back and says, God, you've provided for me. Thank you. God, you met my needs. Thank you. Contentment. It's amazing. People who have contentment will have probably nothing close to the people who love money. And yet they live in so much more of a fulfilled manner of life. They're so much more satisfied. They're so much more at peace. Because they're not internally striving. They're not internally agitated and angry and, and, and scheming and conniving on how to get. Because they're content. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't have goals and it doesn't mean they don't have objectives and it doesn't mean that they don't work. It just means that they're not internally driven to have and to get and to have and to get more. Contentment is a huge thing to let God work out in your life. But I also love the whole issue, this whole agitation, this whole irritation. He comes back, he says, what we need to do, and and this is where that Christian worldview starts to kick in. And if you read the notes in the back for the life group, I touch on this a little bit. But the importance here is letting this Christian worldview that says, I do not need to worry about having to provide for me. I am going to lean on Jesus. I'm going to lean on him to provide for me. And so I'm going to seek to find my confidence. I'm going to seek to find my strength. I'm going to seek to find my security, not in how big my asset development becomes, but rather I'm going to find my security in my holding on to Jesus because he is the one who's going to take care of me. And again, part of the way he takes care of us is through the body of Christ loving one another. Therefore we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Okay. You're going to give me grief and you're going to give me a hard time and you're going to harass me and you're going to persecute me because I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay. Do your worst. Because let me tell you, this isn't home. And I'm putting up treasure in heaven and you can't get to it. And one day I'm going to leave this place and I'm going to enter into the presence of God through Jesus and I'm going to be with him forever and ever and ever in that place called heaven. And you can't take that away because this isn't home. That is home. And as we start to develop that Christian worldview that recognizes where our security is and that recognizes where home is, it starts to shift our attitude, starts to shift our perspective. And we're not all wrapped up and caught up in the race that happens here because we know that this is just temporary. And that which is coming is eternal. That's what really matters. So I'm going to trust Jesus. And I'm going to rest in him. And then he comes to this last one. And this is where he starts to 
shift a little bit as he talks about issues of power and he'll unpack that a little bit further down. But remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their, of their lives. Imitate their faith. I'll be honest with you. There have been periods in my life where I have wrestled with this one. Because I also have a good mirror. And I know so many of my, not so many, most of my flaws. My wife and maybe others of you can maybe highlight a few that I maybe don't want to admit. Royce might have a list that she can give you. (laughs) But we wrestle at times when we say imitate your leaders. Especially you wrestle with that when you're one of those leaders. Because you're conscious of your flaws. You're conscious of your deficiencies. But I would say this. There's a lot you can learn about what it means to walk with Jesus by watching my life. There's a lot you can learn about Jesus by watching Rich's life, by watching Buddy's life, by watching Bill's life, as we think about who our elders are, and as we think about following and listening to the leadership and the example of our elders. There's a lot you can learn about Jesus by watching Connor's life. See, he says, guys, I want to encourage you to listen to your leaders and I want you to look at how they're seeking to walk with me. Now, you will look at every single one of us and you're going to find flaws. Every single one of us is going to have deficiencies. But at the same time, as you look at the spiritual leaders that God has placed around us, there are examples in their lives that would serve you well if you would learn from them. And it's an intimidating and scary thing to say, but I would also say that God says to me in Scripture that as a person who's going to lead, as a person who's going to teach, he holds me to a higher standard of accountability. Therefore, I need to really be working on making sure my stuff is is together. Now, is it all perfect? Absolutely not. Can you find and would you find flaws if you looked well enough? Absolutely. The purpose of this whole process is not to find people's deficiencies. The purpose of this stuff is not to find out where people fail and blow them up for that, because that's all of us. But the real challenge is to say, how are these followers of Jesus, these leaders that Jesus has placed around my life, walking and living in such a way so that I can learn from them, so that I can emulate the things that God is doing in their life, so that I can grow and become more who Jesus wants and desires me to be. And that's the challenge. See, what the reality is that God has placed around us examples. Now, I'm going to come back and say something here. Now, I picked on Joan a couple of years ago. And as we did that, I, I picked on how I said, Joan, she's going to shake me. Don't do this. <laughs> okay, and I said to her, I said how she was one of my heroes here at the church. Because you're not going to find many people who are close to 90 years old, almost, who are continuing to dream and hope for what God is going to do. And I would say to you, it's not just 
the leaders. It's some of our older saints. It's some of those that we can look to and we can see who have learned to walk well with Jesus. Some who've been in leadership at different times and some who have had positions of leadership and authority, but because of time or age, they've stepped back and they've taken a different place. But we can still look and look at their lives and see their lives and we see the example of Jesus and we see the example of how to live in a way that honors our Lord. We are well served individually and as a church family by looking at and considering those who have walked well with Jesus and coming back and saying, how did they do that? And then how can I do that myself so that one day I can be that person whose life is honoring Jesus, so that one day I can be that person who can stand before him with boldness and joy and confidence and just go, yes! I made it and I did it well. See, that's the goal. And so he says... Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you can carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Not everything they do, but imitate their faith. Imitate that stuff that helps you to grow and become who Jesus wants you to be. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you so very much for your amazingness to us. And Father, just as this writer put out these areas of challenge, and as he said, these are things I want you to also to think about, and these are things as you lean into Jesus, I want you to be aware of and to put into practice in your life. Father, I would help that you would, I would ask that you would help us to do these things and to live these things out in a wonderful and great way. Father, as we now prepare to take the offering and Father, as we prepare to head into the balance of the week, Father, I would ask that you just be at work in us. Help us to walk with you well. Help us to just rejoice in the amazingness of who you are. Father, I thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to take the offering. They're going to come from the back to the front. As they pass by, feel free to stand and sing. But wait until they pass by. Before you do that, it'll make passing the plate a little bit easier for everyone. Thank you.